Weather Hype is all about weather, climate, and how it affects you. And we're excited to learn more today about psychology and weather. Basically, decision making related to weather, how people think about weather, how people react to weather um, in various ways. So that could be physically, mentally, it could be any number of ways. And how we think about and react to the weather differs for everyone, especially those who may be autistic. There's generally stigma surrounding these these conditions and these differences and you know it just these people are different and that makes people uncomfortable uh, they just generate stereotypes you know they they have these broad conceptions of what they think these individuals or these groups of individuals how they act or they behave we're joined today by matt bolton and i'm a psychology student at saint leo university who will tell us more about his experiences and work relating to vulnerable populations in the meteorology field. And I think that's really the key, is being willing to expose yourself to these different perspectives, these different experiences that people have, to educate and destigmatize some of these things. And that's what we hope to do today on episode 46 of Weather Hype. It's Min. And it's Castle. And you're listening to Weather Hype. A podcast where we talk about weather, climate, and how it affects you. And today, we're talking about vulnerable populations, autism spectrum condition, and raising autism awareness among our listeners and the weather community. So stick around. Now I'm the reason why you broke up with him and got back together Thought I was sunshine, but baby I'm bad weather I'm off the Doppler in the five day forecast By the time they hear me I've already pushed the shore back No, no, I wasn't always like this Skies cleared soon as my daylight lit Sidewalks dried up, no snow emergency I could take you February and turn it into spring I was born on a storm when I get gone I get gone and I don't need anyone to know better um, Matt, we're really glad to have you on today. Castle and I have discussed having you on to talk about your research and all the great things that you do for the Weather Enterprise. So we're really glad that we're able yeah. to finally bring you on today. Um, and so, Matt, can you awesome. remember when was the first time we actually met each other? Was it you and I? It's, was it, it NWA? It's been a few years. I want to say 2015, 2016 at NWA. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, because I remember. Which one was that? Was that the Norfolk one? Yeah, it would have been Norfolk. Norfolk? Uh, Castle. Okay. I believe it was 2016 that we met. So, you guys met each other before me or after? Uh, I met you first. Okay. Because I remember we are. Um, eating somewhere and then yeah. amber amber liggett mm-hmm. our friend amber was with us too and i remember all of us were sitting down together and eating and i remember just talking about all the cool stuff that you guys were doing and, and whatnot so that yeah that was what two years ago wow yep time flies huh yeah it really nice. does um and so is there a reason that we met at nwa versus ams it's just ams just so large yeah, maybe yeah i think i think just ams just the size difference between AMS and NWA. Um, so, Matt, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? What do you study, and how did you get interested in the areas that you studied? Yeah, so uh, I'm a psychology student, undergrad right now. Uh, I'm interested in psychology of weather and climate, uh, basically decision-making related to weather, how people think about weather, how people react to weather, um, in various ways. So that could be physically, mentally, the intersection between physical and mental. It could be any number of ways. But I'm also interested in uh, a bunch of other areas, just 
through a broad social psychology lens. Uh, everything mm-hmm. from empathy to mental health, autism, which I'll be talking about here. And then, of course, I go back to meteorology. I've got some research on tropical cyclones, and uh, I also do some work with color vision and uh, color blindness, more, more commonly as it's known. Yeah, that's really awesome. And Castle and I were talking yesterday. There was a really great thread on Weather Twitter talking about what it takes yeah. to be successful in meteorology or in weather if you're studying it or you know trying to pursue a career in research or, or beyond that. And I think you do a great job of combining a lot of interests that you have together and really bring those ideas together to explore these, you know, uncharted territories, these new frontiers in terms of research. And a lot of the stuff that you do, I, I find really fascinating. I remember um, some of the stuff was dealing with colorblindness and you're looking at uh, different graphics, right? And, and how people interpret it if they have certain types of color blindness. And that's something that maybe people don't think about all the time, but colors are certainly important when it comes to, you know, weather watches in mornings or just graphics in general um, and, and what they can evoke in terms of how people feel, what kind of actions they might take, things like that. That was like one of the first things that I saw that you were doing that was like, wow, this is really fascinating. I'm so glad he's doing it. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the colorblindness research has been really interesting for me. Um, it started up a few years ago alongside the autism research, and it was really more of an outreach effort at first just to make meteorologists more aware of it. Because I, I was talking to people at conferences, and nobody had thought about colorblindness. And to me, that was just like, you know, oh my gosh. And, you know, they're not thinking about naturally occurring uh, differences in color vision. And so for me... Yeah. For me, that was a, a big item on my list that I wanted to tackle in terms of, um, you know, communicating to these populations that aren't being thought about. Just out of curiosity, what other items are on your big checklist to talk about? Sure. Um, so I've got, I've got colorblindness. I've got autism. Um, but anything really that's involved with individual difference. So um, I haven't really gotten into this from a research standpoint of talking to it to these items yet in my work but you know maybe there are problems for people who are dyslexic because dyslexia you know there's a common misconception that it just involves reading but Mm -hmm. dyslexia also involves trouble in discerning generalized context so i actually i actually was talking with a meteorologist or it was a geographer at this last nwa that we were all at and she was telling me she's had several students um, who've been dyslexic, and they've just been completely caught off guard, you know, as geography students, because they they mix up their cardinal directions. And that can certainly affect uh, how people perceive or understand mm-hmm. different things, especially with relation to weather. Right, yeah. right. Um, you know, if you think about weather warnings, if the information is distributed um, you know, how is that being interpreted? So, you know, maybe yeah. maybe down the line, looking at uh, weather communication differences in dyslexia, maybe that might be an angle that I would get into. For sure. And, you know, in talking about these different vulnerable populations, or you said individualized differences, mm-hmm. which I think is a really uh, great term that you use, um, a lot of times when people are approaching these topics about those who may be deaf or hard of hearing or colorblind or blind or um, may have autism. How do people approach 
these types of conversations because sometimes it's a little bit weird or awkward or people can be nervous when they, mm-hmm. you know, talk about this really, you know, to them a very sensitive matter. But um, how do people have that conversation? And then especially within the weather enterprise, when we're trying to make sure that we don't leave anybody behind, that we're inclusive, how do we have those conversations with people? So, yeah, there's there's generally stigma surrounding these these conditions and these differences and you know it just these people are different um and that makes people uncomfortable you know people can uh they just generate stereotypes you know they they have these broad conceptions of what they think these individuals or these groups of individuals how they act or they behave um sure you, mm-hmm. you think about autism and the three main criteria generally for autism are uh, difficulties in socializing and communication. You have your repetitive interests and you have uh, sensory sensitivities. So those are some stereotypes there that people can key in on. And, you know, from a social standpoint, maybe maybe it's a lack of eye contact. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's the, the general awkwardness or awkward appearance that might uh, occur uh, because the individual has trouble with social cues. Um, you know, it can be difficult for them to maintain conversation or start a conversation because there's difficulty with perspective taking and, you know, reciprocation in, in communication. You know, those are those are some issues there. And so you, you have these different kinds of viewpoints. And, you know, I think simply being aware that we have these, these different attitudes uh, is one step towards acceptance. Um, and I think that's really the whole point of these panels that we're having, this discussion we're having now, you know, just making people a little bit more aware and comfortable of these differences. Well, even though someone may be open to kind of having mm-hmm. these discussions, doesn't necessarily make it easier to sure. walk up to someone who is deaf sure. or, or hard of hearing or perhaps is low vision or... Um, so do you have any tips on ways that we could do that? Because I know that even myself, like uh, interacting and I know sign language, but even interacting with like deaf and hard of hearing individuals, like I am concerned. I don't want to say the wrong word. I want to make sure I'm talking about the big D versus the little D populations. Um, so just making sure I'm getting all of the terminology correct and just having all those concerns can just almost be a barrier to someone actually walking up and having a conversation and that's like the opposite of what we want to do so do you have any uh tips or tricks that we could share with perhaps students or members of the weather community on ways that we could just be more open about having these conversations mm-hmm. with those people um i mean like you said you know ask the individual you know um don't don't assume uh one one thing i know in the, the autistic community is really big is language use you know they'll talk about the difference between uh, identity first language which is autistic and then they'll talk about person first language person with autism generally autistic people prefer identity first language um, because they feel like that's very important to them their identity is very important to them and to put person in front of the autism you know you're separating it and that's that's more of the the medical right. model of disability, and um, it's preferred professionally within that scope. But um, I know many many autistic people uh, prefer uh, 
identity first language they prefer more neutral language um, you know person on the autism spectrum and so on um, and so really you need to just ask the individual and don't be afraid to make mistakes I know in some some of my own interactions um, you know you make these faux pas you say something you're trying you know if you if you ask the individual their preference you know you can say well I know there there's some concerns about language how, how do you feel about this you know what do you prefer personally I'm a person with autism who's autistic um, I don't care either way um, but not all people are that open-minded or not everyone has that same sense of uh, clarity and it, it can sure. be hard too. Um, you know, you're interacting with someone who has a disability, for example. You know, your natural reaction might be to help that person, but do they want help? You know, they've they've developed coping mechanisms, and you know, you may think that you're being helpful, trying to I don't know, open a door for them or or something, but maybe they feel like that is taking away their independence. One of the things that I'm interested in is consistency. That's what my dissertation topic is on. I'm sure the listeners have heard me say it. Have they, Castle? Have they? <laughs> <laughs> they have. Um, but thinking about this is it's really important for consistency because if one size doesn't fit all, that kind of goes against some people's kind of definitions of what right. consistency is and things that we're pushing forward in our enterprise and our community. So. I'm just curious how you kind of are thinking about um, how are we kind of grappling with the concept of one size doesn't fit all, doesn't fit all versus we need to be consistent in the way that we're communicating things at odds with each other a bit. And so I was just curious about some of your thoughts on that. In my own work with colorblindness and color vision, um, because there, there again, you know, you want to eliminate the number of colors being used so that you eliminate the potential for overlap for those individuals because everything in the reds and greens is going to overlap and your reds, blues, and purples are all going to kind of fade together as well. So that's something that I've really struggled with just trying to wrap my head around as someone with quote typical color vision, <laughs> you know, it's, it's difficult to take that perspective. And I've, I've found even in, in simulating some of these differences with different tools that not all the tools available produce consistent results, or they, may, they might be different from each other, depending on how they're programmed. And so all these problems in my own work are kind of helping me uh, figure these things out a little bit better. But I think, I think the matter of consistency and, you know, one size really doesn't fit all. Because if we think about these standardized approaches, it becomes a, the the reality is that you really need a standard for each population. You know, right. you're talking about in the HasSimp program, for example. You know, they're they're wanting to consolidate the colors. They want to consolidate the messages. But then you look at it from, for example, a colorblindness perspective, and you say, okay, what colors are they using within the HasSimp program? Are those colors conducive to what we need for these populations? So it becomes a, a question of, is standardization really the best fit? And if it is, are we needing, do we need to look at it from a, a standpoint of, you know, we have one standard, 
or do we need to standardize for each community that we're going to target? It would be inconceivable to try to tackle all the individual differences yeah. that exist. <laughs> there's an infinite array. Yeah. <laughs> there's no just way. there's no way. <laughs> but can we? My and this is my take. Can we take, for example, the the main census? Can we take something and fix some of these problems for people with vision issues? Can we fix some of these problems for people with cognitive processing differences? You know, what can we do for the deaf and hard of hearing? And so if we can really find, I guess, th these main populations, you know, if we can get these main categories figured out, I think that would be a step in the right direction. I know, for example, just to go into colorblindness, we're finding that you know, there's there's traditional color psychology. So cooler colors, they're associating with cooler temperatures, warmer temperatures, your reds, your oranges, they're associating with warmer, warmer temperatures. And what I'm finding is that the Weather Service, by and large, they reduced uh, the colors. I don't know if you've seen in recent months the graphic casts that they've produced, but they stopped going from zero degrees to 100 degrees. They're now only representing the data that's actually on the map. Mm -hmm. um, and something I noticed with that is that we're still using the traditional color associations. So if the temperatures are in the 80s and 90s, they're still using reds and, and oranges. And so the problem becomes the fact that it's still there's still a color conflict because yes, you're, you're showing fewer colors at this point but the colors you're using are still problematic. And if you, if you look at different offices, they'll use shades of yellow and green. Well, not only are yellow and green bad color combinations, they're using shades that are almost imperceptible from each other. You, you can't tell these shades of color apart. And so I'm really right. trying to wrap my head around a way to standardize this approach and say, okay, maybe for the lower end of the, the scale, we use blue. And then maybe for, for the the upper ends, we use the orange, we use the red, because that's really the only way you're going to fix the problem for this population. You have to be able to use colors that work for them. So you can't keep using this traditional color scale. Back when it went from zero to 100, I think there were something like 64 colors. And now when we're using these these reduced scales, it's closer to 16. And I think it's, it's a good point to bring up too that these, you know, maps that, because again, the color psychology, right, we associate certain colors with certain temperatures or, or some, something along those lines. And, you know, I, I think there has been discussion about having your traditional map with even the reduced temperatures and reduced colors of like 16 colors, but you also have a variation where people can click for those right. who, you know, would be better off using the blue and orange contrasts for you know 70 and 80 degrees versus the orange and red contrast that they currently use now so you know these products can certainly be tailored to different communities but not necessarily that one map will be good for everybody because in the blue and orange map for people who don't have a, an issue seeing that they might be really confused saying well why is you know blue representing that temperature and whatnot because you know how hard it is to to change people's you know, what they're used to, what they what they want, you know. You're not going to change those associations. <laughs> yeah. And it would be it would be wrong to try, um, because you would confuse a lot of people. Yeah, but it's good to recognize that 
the colors, again, like you said, that we're using are uh, problematic for certain communities. And there is certainly something we can do, you know, like um, text products that you're reading for the weather, you know, having them in caps lock helps for those who are, um, you know, can't see very well. They can they can see those more clearly. And then, you know, there are different types of versions of products that you can use and click on that tailor more towards different communities. And I think that's exactly um, a great point that you're bringing up. Just based on your discussion, I wanted to bring up really quickly that it's interesting that we're discuss- discussing consistency as similar to standardization, but I'm not sure that they're the same thing. I think they're perhaps along a spectrum of uh, different uh, of being kind of the same. Um, but I wanted to point that out. And secondly, I wanted to push you a little bit harder on um, picking these main groups of people that we're kind of focusing in on. Because what I'm thinking about is if we start only catering to uh, certain vulnerable populations. Uh, what about the others? How do we draw the line between um, these individuals? And so I just wanted to push a little bit harder. So you know, you you talk about uh, how we how we pick these people. I don't think it's ethical to start picking, and so it becomes a problem just because you know it it's it's difficult. It's an ethical problem, it's a moral problem, and it's not something, you know, that we can simply say, okay, we're, we're going to help these five populations. We have to try to help everybody, but we have to recognize that only certain accommodations are feasible. No, I, I mean, that's the reality, and that's why I wanted you to kind of go there. I wanted to push you a little bit harder, because I think that it's great for us to really consider and be open to all these vulnerable populations. But when it comes to the end of the day, we only have like eight hours to work um, every day in order to figure out how we can better communicate this information or talk to these people or reach these people or have conversations with all these people. So I think that we have to consider them as much as possible, but we also have to realize that there are limitations to what we can physically do. You know, we, we talk about communication accommodations. We talk about technological accommodations. I think the most universal thing we can do within the meteorological community, just as a social aspect, be willing to listen to these people when they have concerns. You know, you get the, the people who are super weather anxious you know, they're, they're concerned about the, the tornado warning and they, they call the forecast office up. You know, it's being willing to listen to those people, time permitting. It's being willing to embrace the, the difference. And I think, I think just going back to that acceptance we were talking about before. And we were talking about the different groups and different populations, and we would really like you to talk about um, the autistic uh, spectrum disorder, autism spectrum disorder, and um, that group, and and in relation to how they perceive weather, um, and how, you know, because there's a lot of things that you've looked into, and so maybe you can start us off and and we can um, follow up with some further questions about that at that school. Uh, It's a neurological condition, and this is something I want to talk about just briefly. Um, condition versus disorder. Disorder is uh, more medical, whereas uh, condition is a state of being. And I prefer autism spectrum condition. Other researchers prefer autism spectrum condition over disorder 
because it is less stigmatizing. Dis disorder is implying that something is inherently broken or it needs fixing. Condition could be a medical term, but condition can also be a state of being. And so when I use autism spectrum condition, you know, it's an autistic state of being. Just to get into autism a little bit, uh, it occurs in one in 59 individuals. And generally it affects neurological functioning in development. Autistic individuals usually have very narrow interests and can have repetitive behaviors. And there are general sensory sensitivities. So you can be either hypersensitive, you can be extra sensitive, or you can be hyposensitive um, and lack some sensitivity. There's, there's a lot of variation along the spectrum. And one thing I think that confuses a lot of people is they think of the autism spectrum, they hear that term, and they think of it, you know, left to right, it's very linear. Um, and that's not the case, because in autism you can have areas of strength and weakness. You can have, you can have somebody who is very good with language, but be very poor with math. And I do want to mention functioning labels, high functioning, low functioning. Um, those are a, a bit misleading because you can have high functioning people yeah. who still struggle. And if they're considered high functioning, they're, they're not able to get the help that they need. They're not able to get any kind of support. You know, you can be high functioning and still deal with crippling anxiety. Wow. You can be low functioning, have some areas of strength. So there's a lot of variation on the spectrum. The, the saying goes, you meet one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Yeah, because it's not a dial where you're on the you're one on a ten scale or you're a nine on the ten scale. Like this is not a severe weather index. You know what I mean? I'm glad that you brought that up and and you're already um, educating me and I'm sure a lot of people who are listening about what it actually means and everything else. So I really appreciate that. Um, and you know, for those on the autism spectrum, there may be communication issues with in terms of uh, the weather community. You know, giving information out to people. So can you talk about that idea and, and maybe some ideas that you have to address that concern? Socially, in autism, uh, these individuals, uh, the meteorologists might be interacting with, I'm, I'm talking from a social perspective now, um, like at a hurricane awareness event or severe weather safety expo, you know, something like that. Um, yeah, like in person, okay. Yes. Um, so the individual might have trouble with eye contact. They might have trouble with social cues. Uh, there's, there's something called theory of mind, which is the, the ability to take another person's perspective and to uh, basically recognize their mental states. So their thoughts, their intentions, their feelings, beliefs, and so on. They have these, these differences with perspective taking. So maybe they become focused on, you know, some aspect of what the meteorologist is talking about. Maybe they have a lot of questions. The, the best thing you can do is just be willing to interact with the individual, keep yourself open, and listen to them, you know, if they have questions or maybe they're not understanding something. Maybe you can convey the information a little bit better, mm -hmm. more, more suited to their learning style. I think, I think from a social standpoint as well, um, I know we were talking a little bit beforehand about parasocial interaction. Parasocial interaction is a phenomenon by which people watching TV uh, develop a relationship with the, the person on the TV. So in their mind, they may think they have a relationship with this person. They may think they know this person. I read a, a, an article about 
a lady who once was watching David Letterman and she put a restraining order against him because she thought that he was stalking her. And it turns out that this lady was actually obsessed with Letterman. And from a communication standpoint, it may be, I don't know of any research in this area, but it may be the autistic person watching the TV thinks they know the meteorologist, so they see them in public and, oh, hey, you know, they, they start up a conversation, um, expecting that person to know them. The question that I had was perhaps would that be a, a reason why like broadcast meteorologists might be ever might, might be able to better communicate to individuals um, that have autism spectrum condition um, because they it's not like this social situation there's like a for lack of better terms there's like glass between them um, so they can have this kind of uh, interaction without having to be solely focused on missing social cues and all this stuff. So I thought that that might be a better way for them to receive information because they can have a social interaction without having to actually have a social interaction. Yes, yes. Um, that's something I, I got into a little mm -hmm. bit in that uh, in my first paper that I wrote on the on the topic uh, in 2017. And I haven't I haven't returned to those questions, but it certainly seems plausible. You know, if you if you think about it from, for example, a weather anxiety standpoint, you know, maybe maybe the meteorologist is considered uh, a trusted figure, and so this the the autistic individual, you know, from a parasocial standpoint, has that relationship. They have that that the interaction established. Maybe from an anxiety standpoint, they go and they they watch the meteorologist for assurance. Maybe in a severe weather situation. Now, I'm not saying meteorologists change their delivery style or their, their communication methods to account for these things, but being cognizant of, of the tone that you're using. You know, maybe don't hype it quite so much. Unless, unless right. of course, yeah. you know, it's, it's a PDS tornado warning, you know, tornado emergency. Don't wildly gesture, you know, be a little bit more controlled in your delivery. And that'll help everybody. That'll help calm everybody not just the autistic person yeah i love i always love talking about parasocial interactions because i am really high on that scale um i uh it, it for those listening it goes both with fictional and non-fictional tv shows and characters um so i like i watch a lot of like fiction television shows and so i have a lot of parasocial relationships as weird as that sounds with like a lot of the characters that i watch on my tv shows i just feel like they're I felt like they're friends and like I just would like to interact with them. So I always love bringing that up and talking about it and I thought it might be kind of relevant um, in this area so that's why I wanted to bring it up. So when we think about kind of giving uh, or communicating uh, weather information to individuals uh, that have autism, so say there's like a severe thunderstorm warning and we're trying to get that information out to everyone. Um, but when we're thinking about individuals that have that are on the autism spectrum, um, is there like a best medium? Because in your paper you talked about like uh, like the strengths and weaknesses of all the different right. mediums that we use. So is right. there kind of uh, the best way to reach these individuals, or how we how can we best get this information to? It's it's interesting because again there's so much variation across the spectrum. Certainly people who have fewer for lack of a better term, fewer deficiencies, fewer communication challenges, um, it's not going to be as big a problem 
and they'll be able to receive the information. I think really where the that question comes into play is for the people who have the uh, greater levels of functioning impairment. And it's going to be down to the, the parents and caretakers and the, the guardians, who, whoever has care of these individuals. It's going to really play into their hands to uh, address these questions. Well, when you get to when you get interested in that topic there's a lot of really great uh material on uh individuals making decisions for other people um specifically in like the health domain where people are perhaps in a coma or something and their family members have to make a decision for them um so i think all of that literature could be really fruitful for this area um so that may be a a different area for you to examine later down the road in graduate school Sure. Yeah. So, um, so Matt, when we talked about um, the idea of weather salience in autism, can you identify exactly what weather salience is and some of your research into um, how uh, those two ideas are related to each other? So, um, weather salience, very broadly, is psychological attention to weather. It involves emotional response to weather. It involves attention to weather. Um, you know, all these different domains and ways that, ways that weather might impact people. It involves, you know, attachment to weather. Do people have a preference for one type of weather or another, for example? Okay. You know, all these different variables. I got into this line of work in autism based on uh, a theory called, uh, it's called the empathizing systemizing theory. And the empathizing systemizing theory uh, says that people on the spectrum are weaker in cognitive empathy. So they're weaker in perspective taking, but not affective empathy. And affective empathy is uh, basically emotional response. Um, so if they're able to identify the, once they identify that somebody's in distress or they find out that they've done something wrong or um, you know anything that involves emotional response and responding to that person, they're, they're good with that. Basically, at the expense of cognitive empathy, you have this strength in what's called systemizing. And systemizing is, it's, it's defined two ways. There's two pieces to it. So first, it is the ability and the drive to uh, construct logical rules. And these, these rules basically follow a pattern. They follow an if-then if this happens, then this happens uh, kind of framework. Weather is considered a system. Of course, you know, it's, it's got some degree of predictability. Mm-hmm. And so I said to myself, you know, is there a link between basically attention to detail and attention to weather? So systemizing and weather salience. So the, 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 the trouble that I'm having with combining them is that when you're observing the weather it doesn't necessarily have to be a perfect system right this is where the variation comes in so my my data suggested that as systemizing went up weather salience went up sure but theoretically there's an inverted u-curve there where eventually your system your need to have these rules, this this input-output relationship, 
that needs to be a very little change. So if you think of a light switch, for, for example, as an example of a 100% accurately predictable system, you know, mm -hmm. you flip the switch, the light comes on every time, unless the power is out or the light bulb or, you know, something's wrong there. Eventually, weather becomes too unpredictable. And weather in this way is actually very similar to social situations because emotions, you can't know every single emotion that might be in any particular social interaction. And if you're systemizing socially, uh, it's going to be very difficult. From my perspective, I'm thinking more about weather salience as being someone walking around and seeing like the clouds come in and get dark. Right. And then it would right. rain and they would notice that. And so to you're me... Think, you're thinking very broadly, right? Right. So to me, it would be more systemizing because it seems very predictable about what's going to happen if I notice it get really dark. Mm -hmm. I have a, have a strong feeling that it's going to rain, probably. Right. right. So to me, they would kind of interact. Because systemizing is, is working to understand processes that are happening around you. Right? So you're looking at like the, the atmosphere or the environment around you and then you're systemizing in terms of trying to understand the mechanisms that are happening in, in front of you? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. If this happens, then this is the result. The okay. thing with that mechanism is that it requires uh, very little change. You know, ideally, you, you could think of systemizing as a form of the scientific method almost, but Basically, in systemizing, what you're trying to do is say, is there a relationship between variable X and variable Z? If I do this, do I get the same output every time? And I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying weather salience as a whole is related to systemizing. In my work, it's really been the attention aspects. Is that systemizing allows people to more readily pick out patterns. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, you're looking at a 500 millibar chart and you, you find the trough. Systemizing might make it so that the autistic weather forecaster, the autistic meteorologist, more readily able to pick out surface features or upper air features than a, quote, neurotypical or non-autistic meteorologist. So that's, that's something we're, we're looking at in this paper theoretically and saying mm -hmm. you know maybe maybe this is somewhere we can go for future research you know this is the, this is the basement work to build the skyscraper so get this theory down and then we can look at real world implications okay exactly so autistic people are more weather salient what does that mean yeah does that mean that they are physically affected by weather more because we know there are physical uh sensory differences mm -hmm. in autism and that's, that's something that I'm trying to look at now, too, is, is weather salience, does the, how does that affect the sensory differences in autism? And is that a link to understanding some of those sensory differences? Because then if we know that autistic people, you know, if they turn out to be more sensitive to environmental change and weather salience plays a part of that, then maybe we can design interventions to help people who need who need more assistance or um, require more support. So as we kind of tie things up in this podcast episode, we always like to end with kind of big takeaways. Like what do you want 
people that are listening to this podcast to walk away from this episode with specifically about autism and maybe its relationship to weather so do you have like two or three things that you would like kind of our audience to walk away from they could potentially talk to other people and educate them um, and help them kind of point them in a new direction really the biggest thing going back to what I was talking about before you know I can't hammer it home enough just being comfortable interacting with these individuals you know mm-hmm. accepting them socially I think that's a, yeah a really big key you know if autistic individuals are more weather salient you know, what does that mean I'd be interested to brainstorm with anyone who might have some insight on this um, or have ideas to throw around. You know, that would be helpful to me, theoretically, in uh, advancing some of this work. You know, if if we could discover that there's a link between physiological sensitivity and weather salience in autism, then that would be really helpful. And you might also look into the what is the link between weather salience and just a member of the general public um that might be able to help you kind of break down what are the differences and um where are kind of the the things that i can kind of zero in on as being uh, really important for individuals with autism and other vulnerable populations in general and i think i think the third aspect you know um just to, to talk a little bit more about some of these new research areas we've got the the physical sensitivity, we've got the weather salience work, you know, what else might be done in weather salience and individual differences as a whole. And I I talk about this a little bit in my paper as as far as future research goes. And, um, you know, there are um, different behavioral and cognitive performance tasks that we can do. One example, I actually found a link between uh, systemizing ability. We had the, the participants in the study watch a video it was a weather channel video and basically they had to recall all the weather and geography related words that they heard and we found that this was linked to systemizing and so that's a different that's a different way to test the link between not only systemizing and weather salience but to look at a degree of weather salience you know how knowledgeable is your member of the public about weather you know what degree of words are they recognizing as weather words as geography words you know that's that's something i'm trying to innovate in you know these different measures and so um i'd be happy to talk about anything like that um with anyone who's listening great well well thank you so much for being on the episode we really appreciate you coming as min said earlier at the beginning um and we'll definitely have all of his papers and um, his information on our website, but Matt, if people want to find you on Twitter or perhaps your email or some way that they could reach out to you if they have comments or they want to brainstorm, where can they find you at? Sure. Uh, the easiest way to reach me probably is is going to be Twitter. Awesome. Um, and my handle is uh, M Bolton B O L T O N W X. So M Bolton Weather. Awesome. And. Um, I do, I do have a website that I'll mention. Sure. It's uh, www.mattbolton.me. Very simple. <laughs> Very cool. Awesome. Excellent. Thank you so much, Matt. So now it's that time of the podcast where we love to talk about our songs of the week and kind of dish about the latest pop hits. No, that sounded really Dishing out the latest pop hits on Men and Castle's Spotify chart. <laughs> well, 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 well. Coming. Commercial free. 
Um, so all right, just continue. We'll keep. <laughs> we'll edit that somehow. <laughs> um, but I wanted to ask, what is your song of the week? Because we have to know yours first. Do you though? Yeah, we have okay. to. Have all right, to. you just have to know. All right. Well, if you guys have, just have, to, have know. to know, then um, my song of the week is "Solo." It's by Clean Bandit featuring Demi Lovato. Um, the subject of the song question, <laughs> a little questionable. The, the <laughs> there's some there's some uh, healthy debate on it about on on YouTube. Um, you know, honestly, it's just what people do. But whatever, we're not gonna go into that. You can look it up yourself. Um, but Clean Bandit always has great music. They really blend that orchestra and the instrumental part of their uh, music with the pop and the electronic side of things so it, it really works really well and Demi Lovato is an amazing vocalist she's a great singer um, the music video for this song too we'll link you to our website Ooh, on I our website it's really interesting it's about a woman and a man in a relationship and the woman is like really fed up because the man is like abusing her and not doing great things for her so she's like you know what I'm gonna go solo I don't need you and oh, then she okay. actually um, gets with this random like scientist lady who has like makes these crazy concoctions um <laughs> with like her chemistry set and can turn Interesting. then uh eventually out uh, spot uh spoiler alert by the way if you guys want to watch the video you should pause this podcast now but um she gives the uh our protagonist <laughs> a vial <laughs> that she oh puts into her husband or her boyfriend's food and turns him into a colorful dog that what? is radioactive that changes color all the time but it's like super duper cute it's like a golden retriever i think i'm so confused right now <laughs> that's the point music videos just don't make sense nowadays but it's really uh it was very interesting to watch so yeah watch it <laughs> I, anyway. I we've had this discussion before but i love demi lovato's voice and it like slightly disturbs me that they have like electronicified it yeah and yeah. I know that's their style, and I totally understand that. It just from, like, a personal point, like, Demi Lovato's voice is so amazing that it just hurts a little that they have tweaked it. They didn't um, tweak it too much, and they did come out with a, a an acoustic version of the same song, Solo. Ah, I haven't seen um, that. So listen to that. that. And they actually, I think they dubbed it over the music video with the acoustic version. So, oh, cool. Yeah, so you get the best of both worlds. Um, yeah, that's my song of the week, uh, Castle. I hear that you might be throwing it back, and by throwing it back, maybe throwing it back a month, like a or month, a month ago. and a half ago, <laughs> when we should have brought the song up, but we had recorded. I know last recording, the song just came out after we recorded yeah. it, um, the, our, our episode. So, um, what is your song of the week? My song of the week is by my girl Ariana Grande. Hey, um, girl. It's called No Tears Left to Cry. It it came out like the a, a couple, or maybe it was even the the next day or something. I think it was the next day after we had Yeah, because we talked about it. Yeah, because we talked about the, the, the it coming out. Yeah. Um, and we continued to listen to it on repeat for like the next week. Um, but we didn't record another episode until now so, so we uh, weren't able to like offer it as a song. Actually, <laughs> I feel like we it was, we did record an episode or something where we didn't talk about it. I don't know. Maybe. That might be true. Um, I don't know. But anyway, the song's but great. It, Talk about it. Anyway, Go. the song is great. Um, <laughs> the chorus is amazing. All of it is just great. Like, it's just it, amazing. I was listening to some critique about the song and how it, it is kind of transforming pop music a little bit 
and uh, yeah, because if you think about pop music nowadays, you hear pretty much like the same stuff, and it's pretty you know, right. typical and whatnot. This song puts a little bit of a twist to what you think of the structure of how pop music is broken down. Like you know, the first. I don't know how the, the you call it, but like the first stanza, the second stanza, and then like the chorus, mm-hmm. you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It changes the structure up a little bit and makes it a little bit more unique. And so they're giving a lot of credit to her and her writers for that to um, give us something new and fresh, something that's, um, you know, interesting, that is different from what we've been hearing the mainstream pop radio. And obviously, you know, that song has a lot of, you know, significance to her and her fans and whatnot, right? Yeah, so uh, I'm pretty sure, like, her whole album is all about, like, positivity and trying to bring kind of, like, getting rid of the darkness um, with her new song. I think all of that surrounding her experience with, like, the mass shooting in the United Kingdom, correct? It was a bombing. Oh, bombing, yeah. Yeah. Uh, It was a bombing. Yeah, and so I think she's trying to draw inspiration from that and also, like, to kind of offer this to her fans and also people that were affected. I think all of like this new music is really inspired by that. And she's just trying to kind of convey this. Um, we need to really enjoy every day that we get and make the most of it and really be positive in the way that we're thinking and putting these kind of vibes out into the world, which is just, I think it's great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I saw a similar critique that said that she was bringing in elements of like 70s and 80s music um, and kind of like reintegrating those into the pop uh, culture and the pop scene, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty cool that we're kind of at that point where we get to recycle some really cool things and just bring that new stuff in so that we can get rid of or not get rid of like, <laughs> like bring in some different vibes and different yeah. things to kind of a little uh, bit of old, switch a little things bit of up new. a bit yeah yeah it's always good all right well <laughs> that was a great all episode right. well. <laughs> well we'd like to again thank matt bolton for being on their show today and you know all the great things that we talked about you can find us and find that information in a variety of places including facebook.com slash weatherhype and weatherhypepodcast.com you can also find us on twitter at weatherhype both words weather and hype or send us an email at weatherhype at gmail.com we love reviews and we've gotten a lot of new listeners and we'd love for you to leave some feedback about how you feel about our podcast and what we can do maybe some areas that we can talk about for the future and future podcast episodes so please leave us a review and talk to us let us know how we're doing and if you are not already listening to the podcast on one of many different apps you can find us in a lot of different places um we are recently on spotify i think we said that in our last episode yeah. but if spotify is your thing then you can find us on there now too which so, apparently um, it is a lot of people's things because i had told two people uh recently about the podcast and they both asked is it on spotify so oh. I think that'll definitely help our listenership for sure. Good thing we did that six month thing that took a really long time to get on there. Yeah. Thanks, Spotify. Appreciate it. <laughs> We've only been plugging you for like a year now, but that's another that's another, another that's day. <laughs> Anyway, um, until next time. Until next time. Stay hyped. Stay hyped. Taking all this hate, we out here vibing.
And if you don't know it now, you know it, babe. Know it, babe, yeah. Right now, I wanna see the fight. I wanna be. Are we still recording or no? <laughs> okay, bye. Bye, y'all.